You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we got a lot to talk about on this week's show. Uh, Sergei Pavlovich pulled off a huge win in the main event of Saturday's UFC Fight Night with a first-round knockout over Curtis Blades that perhaps sets Pavlovich up for a title shot against the winner of John Jones versus Stipe Miocic with, I suppose, the always sizable caveat that in order for that to happen, the UFC heavyweight division needs to keep its shit together over the next nine months or so, which has never happened before in all of human history. (laughs) So Godspeed to Sergei Pavlovich, I guess. You also had Bellator pull off back-to-back events out in Hawaii and a bunch of other odds and ends, including Nate Diaz fighting dudes out here in these streets. Yeah in New Orleans in the middle of the night, and Bobby Green having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day at that very same fight night event. Before we get into any of that stuff, which we will talk about on this show, we got to spare some words for your boy, Big Tim Johnson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He went out there during Bellator's Friday night event, which would have been Bellator 294, at the Neil S. Blaisdell Arena in Honolulu, Hawaii, the granddaddy of them all, which actually is kind of true. If you're only talking about Hawaii, Neil S. Blaisdell Arena actually is the granddaddy of them all. Yeah. Out there in Hawaii. They've been doing MMA events there, you know, as since we were children, basically. You and I were knee-high to a grasshopper, and they were doing Rumble on the Rock events out there at the Blaisdell. I think that's where uh, Robbie Lawler damn near killed Frank Trigg, did you not? That's that sounds right. I'm not going to fact check you right at this moment, but I believe you if that's what you say. I think Tim Johnson was the underdog here, was he not? Against Saeed Soma. He's a slight underdog, yeah. He goes out there and pulls off the unanimous decision win in the co-main event of this Bellator card from Friday night where Liz Carmouche defeated Deanna Bennett in the women's flyweight fight. Uh, Tim Johnson, Ben, it's a miracle that this guy even made it to the cage because... He tells a harrowing story in the aftermath of this event where he gets up there and talks about the things that he went through during his camp just to get to this fight, including, but not limited to, I'm going to read this quote from Tim Johnson at the post-fight press conference. This fight camp has been filled with more adversity than I have faced in any other fight camp put together. I started off with a car accident that I have no idea how I walked away from. I'm going to put photos up on my Instagram that just show basically the chain of events that happened at this fight camp. I was going to, I'm going to put this out. Everyone make sure you wear your seatbelts. I was not wearing mine like like an idiot because I took it off moments before. I rear-ended someone going about 70 miles an hour. And I have no idea how I'm awake or alive at all. That's how I started off my fight camp. My neck was pretty jacked up for a good couple of weeks. I should say, I should say, Big Tim Johnson, that your neck was probably jacked up 
for a good couple good few weeks here after the 70 mile an hour car wreck that you were in where you were not wearing your safety belt. Uh, I have lots of questions about this, but first, I guess I would ask the same question that Tim Johnson would ask. How is he even still alive after a <laughs> 70 mile an hour car crash where he was not wearing his seatbelt? I feel like when you tell me that your your main message is that we all need to wear our seatbelts, I go, well, yeah, man, I felt... I kind of had thought that that battle had been won culturally <laughs> yeah, in the United States of America. And especially when you tell me that you had just taken it off moments before the car accident, now you're kind of painting a picture of maybe some distracted driving that's going on at 70 miles an hour. Because I don't know about you, Chad, if I'm going to take my seatbelt off at 70 miles an hour where I'm driving, it's probably because I'm reaching over to like look for uh, something that I where I should be paying attention to the road. I'm looking for a CD. I'm gonna put into the disc changer. I, I gotta hear uh, Notorious B.I.G. Life After Death, and I, I know I got the disc around here somewhere. And then the next thing you know, uh oh, you got yourself into a situation, or you know, you you picked up some drive through. You're reaching over there for the fries. You can't quite get them, but you're not gonna drive all the way home with it without having a fry or two. Let me just unbuckle the seatbelt so I can scoot over bring that bag a little closer, and then the next thing you know, uh-oh. You know, something like that. I got to tell you, I've been waiting with a keen eye on Big Tim's Instagram page for him to post some of those pictures. And so far, uh, nothing. Yeah. So far, got nothing here. Also, I don't know. It doesn't exactly seem like we're we're killing ourselves to come up with really creative content for Tim Johnson's instagram page you know what i'm saying well what kind of stuff does he have going on over there well you just got a couple of like the bellator things that they put out where it's just like tim johnson won his fight here's a picture of tim johnson here's a stock photo of tim johnson not even really looking all that excited you know um there is one here of him and his opponent playing uh foosball against (laughs) one another so that that seems pretty exciting uh one of him posing in the gym with the bricklayer himself a Lear Latifi oh, wow. yeah I also, always good when you can get a Latifi cameo on your IG the, I mean I don't know if you've noticed this as a newcomer to IG but if you go in and just like hit the little search thing and type Tim Johnson Tim Johnson Bellator Tim Johnson MMA fighter Tim, you know IG will be like I don't know do you want to see one of these five pages from some jabroni who happens to be named Tim Johnson, and then one person who seems like they are intentionally creating a fake Tim Johnson Instagram and not really trying to hide it, because here you go, and it's just not, it's no help at all. Yeah. What CD do you think Tim Johnson was reaching for? Garth he Brooks. got in this, again, 100% sev- Brooks. 70 mile an hour car wreck without his seatbelt on. I was going to say Hank Williams Jr. Greatest Hits. <laughs> I mean, at that point, come on, Tim can just sing that one. He doesn't need to even yeah. need to have the CD in there. I mean, and I say this not knowing anything about Tim Johnson, aside from the fact that he has one of the most glorious mustaches in mixed martial arts. I could also see him uh, going for an old school Metallica CD. Okay, yeah. Just like grumbling to himself. Like, oh, I got to find some pre-Black album shit up in here. Where's, where's Kill em All at? Where did I put it? Is it in the glo- <laughs> car accident? Yep. Mm-hmm. So we're you glad just, he's okay. You got to listen to Ride the Lightning sometimes, <laughs> yeah. to, you know, when you're going 70 down the highway. 
Uh, we're, we're glad he's okay. Let's say that. He also had kidney stones during the fight camp, which compared to the car wreck seems like child's play, but also might fuck your, fuck your fight camp up, you could say. So I'm glad that he was able to go out there and, and uh, put together a win here at Bellator to break, I believe, a three-fight losing streak. So that was an important one for Tim Johnson. Yeah, um, and maintains a sense of humor because he talks about had some st- stuff going on with stomach issues. I went to the R- ER to- four total times. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Figured it was gastritis and then an ulcer. Then three weeks ago, I was back in the ER and finally found out what the problem was. I was pregnant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good one. Just jokes, Chad. He had kidney stones. Oh, yeah. No, he's got jokes. We know that about Tim Johnson. You know, I mean, I do appreciate Tim Johnson comes in as sort of like an everyman sort of like attitude. And then when he tells you about the adversity he faced during fight camp, I appreciate that it's going to be everyman type adversity. Got in a car wreck and had kidney stones, you know, yeah. and it's just like we're we're just one step away from being like, oh, then my old lady got mad and tossed me out and I had to sleep on a friend's couch for a few nights. <laughs> Then my truck got uh, broken into and someone stole my tools. You believe that? <laughs> What's well, sorry, son of a bitch steals another man's <laughs> tools. Am I right? Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you're listening to us right now, we need you to do two things for us. First of all, go subscribe to the show. No matter if you're listening on Apple podcasts or Spotify or any of the other platforms, go in there right now. Subscribe to the show show us so it shows up in your feed every week automatically and you don't have to think about it. Secondly, if you already do subscribe, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to. That really helps our visibility and it helps the insidious algorithms find us over there on the platforms. If you really want to support the show, find us on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are over there pretty much all week churning out the additional MMA content. We got the Wednesday live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We got Thursdays doing the damn thing where we take a break from fighting and talk about pop culture and then of course friday's power hour a full extra hour of curated mma talk to get you hyped for the weekend we've got a patronage tier for every budget head on over to patreon.com slash co main event and sign up to join the team this week we got music from our guy james aka the funk soul brother a retired mma fighter and hip-hop producer living in seoul he sent us some tracks a while back and we are excited to share them with you as always. If you like what you hear on the show, you can find him over at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or on YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word in the names of all the musical acts we feature, we should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is, of course, spelled S-E-O-U-L, soul, where the man lives. See what he did there, Ben? Mm -hmm. See what he did? I see what he did, and I appreciate it. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Sergei Pavlovich is big and scary and is now one of only three men to defeat Curtis Blades. Wouldn't it be some shit if he was the one? to end John Jones's legendary unbeaten streak. And in round number two, Bellator pulled off events on consecutive nights in the Aloha State over the weekend and maybe set up some interesting stuff for the future. And in round number three, it's an MMA grab bag. Nate Diaz took to the streets to do battle with dollar store Logan Paul, 
Bobby Green is going to remember you if you ask him about his feelings. And next week's UFC Fight Night looks uh, even worse than usual. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Well, Ben, we are ecstatic to have our old friends Fulton and Rourke back with us as a sponsor of the CME. We've been working with these guys for years, and in our opinion, they make the best personal grooming products on the market. They've got their solid fragrances, their amazing bar soaps, the Formula 5 oil for your hair and skin, and their aluminum-free deodorant. We use these products ourselves and can personally vouch for their awesomeness. I use them every day, and that's the truth not just advertising. In fact, I busted out the Formula 5 oil over the weekend. Moisturize the hands, toss a little in the hair. I love the stuff, man. We've met these guys in person. They are cool. They make great stuff. And they are also MMA fans, which never hurts. Right now, there's some cool new stuff going on with Fulton and Rourke. Ben, what is it? New fragrance alert, Chad. Whoa, new fragrance alert. Yeah, Fulton and Rourke just dropped Highway 190. It's the new fragrance named after the highway that takes you straight through Death Valley in California. It's one of the most amazing drives a person could take. You picture it. You're racing down the desolate highway while taking in the seemingly endless desert and mountain views. It's hard not to feel somehow more alive. Jeff. Yeah, more alive. When Highway 190, Fulton and Rourke has captured that feeling with notes of white freesia, pink pepper, myrrh, and vetiver. And, to make the launch a little more fun, they brought back the custom matte black case that so many of their customers have been asking for. Highway 190 is available as a straight-up fragrance, a deodorant, and a bar soap. Go get it. Hell yeah, myrrh. Remember when Brock Lesnar was going to beat up Frank Myrrh? Yep. Yeah. I love rocking down the highway through one of the hottest places in the country just smelling like myrrh. (laughs) Yeah. Go check it out right now at FultonandRourke.com. And because they deeply love the Co-Maniacs... You can save 20% off your first order with the code CME20. Again, that's FultonandRourke.com and the code CME20. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our friend Darkwing Duck, who writes, Stop me if you've heard this one, but tonight's Fight Night co-main event, or CME if you're nasty, had Bruno Silva after back-to-back losses against 35-year-old Brad Tavares, having already lost three fights out of his last five. And sure, we got that swangin' and bangin' leading to the brain trauma we all desired. But what are we really doing here? My question is, in the JSF era in the UFC, is it designed for quote-unquote real fight fans or for people who aren't fight fans at all? Discourse. Now, that's kind of an interesting question, right? Because what we hear all the time from people who own fight companies is like, if you're not a fucking casual, if you are a hardcore fan, then you will be locked in. You will be locked in Saturday night for the co-main event to watch Brad Tavares fight Bruno Silva. But the fact is you might enjoy Brad Tavares versus Bruno Silva exactly the same amount. If you are a hardcore fan, or if you were just some guy stumbling onto the fight without any idea who was in it or how many losses they just had to get in there. Whereas I think the discriminating MMA fan might look at this co-main event and be like, hmm, I'm going to uh, go make some wings in the air fryer and get ready for the main event here. So what do you think? Is this one for hardcores or is it for uh, noobs? Yeah, I mean, this is the the fight promoter case is a little bit like the steakhouse being like, well, yeah, we're serving you a shittier cut of meat, but if you are a real connoisseur, 
you will real appreciate yeah just any meat at all that as long as it comes from our particular steakhouse <laughs> and i think that really as far as who these kind of fights are for I'll say it's a secret third thing. It's not for people who are real fight fans. It's not for people who aren't fight fans at all. It's for people who are just UFC fans. That's what it is. Because this same fight, this exact same fight could easily happen in PFL. Yeah. In the year 2023. Could happen in Bellator. No problem at all imagining that kind of shit happening. And yet, if that same fight did happen in PFL Bellator, it'll get a lot less attention and people will be a lot less likely to get talked into thinking like, okay, this is some for real shit that matters. Yeah. And that's the kind of advantage that the UFC is enjoying right now in the JSF era is that when you put on these fight night cards, the fact that this fight is even happening in the UFC will get people to take it more seriously than if the exact same fight was happening at the exact same time in one of these other promotions. And they're leaning hard into that, as I think mm-hmm. we're going to end up discussing later. The The question is whether there is any limit to that, like whether you you lean too hard into it and you find out that eventually people go, you know what, actually, I discovered I don't care about it. So far, it doesn't seem like that limit exists. So far, yeah. it seems like as long as you're putting it on with the UFC branding, then uh, people are going to be like, okay, this, this must matter. It's in the UFC. Especially, it's in the UFC. It's in the co-main event of a UFC event. It must be important. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from our guy at Pissed Off Lawyer over on Twitter. He says, I direct this question to the co-main event news MMA business reporter. Okay. That, I, I think that's you. Hold on. Uh, how, okay, I'm ready. Okay. How does it make financial sense for the UFC to run shows at the Apex considering that people pay money to see fights live? Explain it to me like I'm a child. Now, I think what he means here is basically forego in the live gate. You're not getting a live gate if you're staying at the Apex rather than, you know, going down to Kansas City like we saw them do a couple of weekends ago. Why does it make sense as the official business reporter of co-main event enterprises, Ben Folks, walk us through it like we're children? I guess because it keeps costs just insanely low. Yeah, that can be the only thing. I mean, I do think that the UFC is getting a little bit fed up with its own Apex strategy to some extent. So. Who, who, maybe they are losing a little bit of money by not going out and doing live gate. Like, for instance, you look at this Kansas City one over in the other T-Mobile Center, which still makes me so goddamn mad that <laughs> we're even doing that. But the, the announced gate for that one was like $2.1 But then you think about all the costs that you incur from taking your octagon over there, take, putting everybody in a hotel up there. Uh, bring in the UFC's whole operation, and maybe they weigh that against, hey, when we stay home at the Apex, it's a probably a really low-stress and very predictable, manageable-cost situation for the UFC. And maybe they figure, like, all right, it all sort of balances out one way or another, or at least close enough that we don't really have to worry about it if we don't have any spots on the, the calendar that we're necessarily trying to fill going out there. I mean, especially if... Your whole strategy is built around pay us to come and bring you a show. Yeah. And maybe if you're trying to get trying to get a little de- demand to creep up higher or more people are willing to pay you to come out there and put on a show uh, and you figure right, in the meantime, we could stay home at the Apex and that doesn't bother us at all. Like that is remember, you recall, Chad, the Apex was billed as the future of fighting before the UFC would tell us what it is. Yeah. And then it turned out that they had built it just in time for a pandemic to close everything down. And it was kind of like, okay, 
this monkey's paw wish came true. <laughs> Not quite exactly the way you thought it was going to, but it does seem like when you watch some of these fights, it would be a real different thing to watch Sergei Pavlovich go out there and knock out Curtis Blades with a big crowd around you. You'd be a yeah. way different energy. And some of these fights recently where it's like, okay, this is fine, I guess, but you're also losing something. And it's more and more clear to us that that you're deciding to forego it rather than out of necessity being forced to forego it. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing we can be assured of about the UFC, and especially during the Endeavor era, is that they have figured out how to make the most money out of absolutely everything and how to keep almost all of that money. And they're starting to get out on the road a little bit more now than they have recently since the pandemic, I suppose, you know, they went to Kansas city for the max Holloway, Arnold Allen fight. They're going down to North Carolina in a few weeks for the uh, Jarzino Rosenstrike, Jailton Almeida, uh, UFC on ABC card, but they are still staying home for fight nights pretty regularly over at the apex. Yeah. And I, I just rest assured that they ran the numbers and figured out that this is, if not more profitable, equally as profitable and more cost effective, et cetera, et cetera. It's got to take a huge logistical effort to move the UFC's entire operation from one city to another on a week after week after week basis. And so uh, they have decided that the apex for whatever reason is the, the preferable way to do it for the, at least for the time being. And one thing we know for sure is that Dana White doesn't want to be at home. Nope. You know, he's getting, he gets stir crazy sitting there in Las Vegas. If he had his way, he wants to be down in, uh, in Casey staying in the finest suite in all of Missouri and, you know, maybe hitting up the riverboat casinos and, uh, going, maybe going to the event. Maybe not. We don't know anymore. Uh, but I, as soon as it starts to make financial sense to be back out on the road, you can rest assured they will do that. And at this point, Live Gate accounts for such a small fraction yeah. of the UFC's overall uh, monetization effort and overall revenue that I got to think it doesn't, if it hurts the bottom line, it doesn't hurt it very much. So uh, look for them to get back out on the road, I think, regularly at some point, but it also must make sense for them. To also use the Apex, where you could just leave the shit set up, right? You just leave the Octagon yeah. set up. You don't have to pay the ring crew. You don't have to pay the truck drivers. You don't have to pay the whatever. It's just, uh, you know, just leave it set up there. Well, I mean, and we're seeing, if you look at the calendar coming up, there's more of these kind of fight night cars where we're getting out there. Because we have the UFC on ABC. It's in May. That's in Charlotte. Uh, and then they come back home for a couple weeks at the Apex. Uh, and then... Um, you know, UFC 289 in Vancouver. And they got a couple of like the UFC on ABC cars where we're getting out there. You know, we're going back to the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville. We cannot go there. We can't yeah. not go there. So they got a, a few of those. I also wonder how much of it was you got so used to just running them at the apex that you weren't really looking forward on the calendar to be like, okay, where can we book one that we have scheduled for September or October? Uh, and then, you know, when everybody else was starting up their shit again, maybe a lot of those places got booked pretty far in advance. Yeah, that could also be. That could also be. Uh, next question this week comes to us from that thrifty double scoop ice cream in a cup from Rite Aid. Nice. 
So there's that. Uh, is there anything you fellas have to say about the recent matchmaking? Flat Nose Jackie versus Sean Brady, the trilogy no one asked for, and Nunez versus Pena 3, and what the fuck DDP versus Whitaker number one contender fight? I mean, yeah. Uh, the I mean, one thing I was thinking is, like, it's kind of rough to be Sean Brady, right? And, like, you were the you were the Jack Della Maddalena a short time ago, and now they are inviting you in to perhaps be the stepping stone for the new Jack Della Maddalena. I mean, that is sort of the, that highlights a little bit of the the difficulty of being one of these guys where it's like, you're coming along, you're 15 and 0, you lose as many as one fight. And now we're like, okay, sing for your supper, man. Get out there, uh, have this, this tough scrap. I, I mean, I don't understand though, shitting on the, DDP versus Bobby Knuckles because you got to do something right with with Israel Asanya back on top at middleweight you got to do something to create some kind of mandate for the next title challenger if we're not yeah. going to turn right around and do a third Alex Pereira fight then you, you got to look at two of the ranks and see who do we got because as we talked about before, you look at the top five, basically, and he's pretty much fought them all. Bobby Knuckles is kind of always right there, but it also feels like he needs one more against somebody big at this particular moment to be like, okay, that's that's all the justification we need to put him in there for another title fight against Israel Asanya. Because they do seem to be getting closer. It's different in that sense from the Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway series where those fights are getting less competitive as time goes on. You know, he went from getting knocked out in the first one to being pretty close in the second one. So I, you do need him to win one more in a big moment before you can be like, okay, that that's the reason that we're going to point to and say here's a title shot. Plus, you get... DDP, Dreykus Duplis is out there talking all kinds of shit. It looks like maybe they might have themselves a little bit of a rivalry going. Even Israel Adesanya, you see him posted on Twitter where he's just like, please win. Please win this fight so I can beat you up. And so you're like, okay, you might have something there, but he does need a little something extra to really prove and get people excited about him as a potential title challenger. So for where those people are, that kind of makes sense to me. The the Nunes-Pena 3-1 just feels like, you know what, we don't have any better ideas and we're not yeah. even going to really try to, like, we're not really going to break a sweat trying to think of any. Like, yeah. just, okay, fuck it. It's 1-1, do it again. Yeah. All right, last question this week comes to us from Thor Ekman, who writes, I was about eight or nine years old, watching my all-time favorite heroes at that point in my life, Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior, go at it on pay-per-view that came in on a gigantic satellite dish in my grand at my grandparents' house in North Alabama. Hell yeah. I watched that I watched that shit through my fingers in a combo of fear and pure excitement. I didn't want to see one of my heroes lose, but I had to. The news this week brings me back to that for the first time in 20 plus years since. You guys, it's Muhammad versus Burns, and that feeling is pumping through my veins. I can't wait to see this fight, but I also don't want to see either, ever, either lose. I'm nervous, but let's fucking go. Now, I suppose this is some this is a matchmaking email and some matchmaking news of a different variety, and that uh, Bilal Muhammad finally going to get the upper tier contender fight that he has been waiting for for a while in Gilbert Burns. These guys are the co-main of one of these upcoming UFC pay-per-views. It's uh, UFC 288 in uh, May. 288 in May. 
Uh, yeah, man, like this is an ex- yeah. this this is both exciting, I think, and it is a couple of guys who both seem legitimately nice. So it is going to be maybe a bummer to see one of them lose, but you know, for Bilal Muhammad, I feel like you just got to feel good for the guy for being granted something close to a, a number one contender fight because he's been knocking on the door for a while, and if anybody says that he thinks they should get a title shot. Another fighter comes along and threatens their life. So yeah. I'm glad to see Bilal Muhammad like getting this opportunity, frankly. I do have to say that I think Thor Ekman just became the first person to ever compare Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert <laughs> Burns to Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. I, yeah, don't, that's... I don't think it's ever happened before. I don't think it'll ever happen again. No, that's I, just I, special I history being made on the, the CME podcast. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here, given our listeners' propensity to write us in under names of minor Seinfeld characters. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Thor Ekman is a try for Tor Ekman, who is a character on the Seinfeld episode, The Heart Attack, back in 1991. So thanks to him, I suppose. Who was Thor Ekman? On the, what, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that I one. I didn't look up the IMDB. I just Googled the name to see if it was a Seinfeld character, and it is. One-time character in The Heart Attack, Tor Ekman was played by Steven Toblowski. Okay, I get it. I, I remember this guy now. He's like a weirdo, hippie healer kind of character. Glad you we got, got to the bottom of that one. Mm-hmm. He did that, seem like an Ultimate Warrior guy, honestly, when I saw him on that episode. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, we had Sergey Pavlovich KO Curtis Blades over the weekend, three minutes and eight seconds into the very first round. Obviously, it goes without saying this is a huge win for the 30-year-old Russian who runs his heavyweight win streak now out to six fights, all of them ending by some version of first round knockout. But Curtis Blades, far and away the biggest contender that Sergei Pavlovich has defeated. Prior to this, he came in off back-to-back wins over Derek Lewis and tied to Ivasa. But Curtis Blades is really the perennial top contender in this division. And at this point, man, maybe a bridesmaid, always a bridesmaid, never the bride for Curtis Blades is the kind of thing we're looking at. But this is a big win. We'll get into Curtis Blades in a minute. This is a big win for Sergei Pavlovich because it kind of sets him up as the heir apparent number one contender for whoever wins the John Jones Stipe Miocic fight. But as I mentioned in the intro, it is very dangerous in the heavyweight division to even try to look ahead that far. Nonetheless, this is sort of like the coming out party, I guess you could say, for Sergey Pavlovich, who now stakes his claim as a top contender in this division. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Were you surprised at the way Curtis Blades went about this fight? 
Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I mean, the fight was only three minutes long, so you can't necessarily say what Curtis Blades' whole strategy was going to be, but this man shot for all of one takedown attempt in this first round, and he didn't do it until after he was rocked by a punch. Right. He spent a long period of time on the feet, mixing it up with Sergei Pavlovich. You could argue, perhaps surprisingly effectively for a couple of minutes, but that's the thing about mixing it up with Sergei Pavlovich is that the guy has monster power. And once he starts connected on you, he's going to put you to sleep eventually. So, yeah, I was surprised. Now, obviously, in the modern UFC, we all know you got to it's every round starts on the feet and very, very few guys can have success with their takedowns if they don't first engage in some striking. But I was surprised that Curtis Blades didn't shoot for a single takedown until after he'd been stung. And at that point, Sergei Pavlovich shucked it off. Like it was nothing. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just not in a position at that point to really threaten him with his best stuff wrestling-wise. And it seemed like at that point, too, it was also just sort of desperation because you're getting rocked on the feet. And I guess I could see the thinking if you're like, look, we don't want to go out there and shoot right away and communicate to this guy that we're scared to stand with him. But right. when you are standing with him, it became more and more apparent that he's got the faster hands. And he's getting there first on some yeah. of these striking exchanges and how long can you really do that? And so, especially when we talked about it beforehand, you look at Sergei Pavlovich's body of work, you kind of come away going, this is a first-round knockout artist dude. And that's maybe not the time. That's maybe the worst <laughs> time to pick to try to stand and bang with him. Again, you don't want to, like, you know, Monday morning quarterback this shit too much. But it also seems like, man... I understand we got to go in there and at least make him respect the possibility that you might be there trying to punch him in his face, but we can't try to get in on a clinch. We can't try to change that, that the distance at which the fight is happening. That, that surprised me a little bit because it just seemed like Curtis blades for a lot of those few striking exchanges was not fighting. Like I'm throwing punches, trying to get you to open up so that I can get the takedown. He seemed like he was throwing punches, feeling like this is what we're doing until it looks like a really bad idea. Yeah, that w- it was a bit of a strange strategy. And uh, once he started to touch him up, Sergey Pavlovich, you know, started hitting him with those jabs and ended up hitting him with a jab pretty much right on the corner of the jaw that spelled the beginning of the end for Curtis Blades. I mean, Sergey Pavlovich at this point is a very interesting heavyweight prospect because he is huge. He looks good getting off the bus. He is a monster power puncher, which you know the UFC likes. We've been talking literally for years now about the potential for the UFC to make a real play in the Russian MMA market. And having a big heavyweight knockout artist certainly would not hurt that effort if you indeed want to go all in on it at any point. And so here he is, a guy who I think has a lot of potential and he has ensconced himself now, I think, as a, as a number one contender type guy. The only question is, how quickly can we get to John Jones versus Stipe Miocic? And what happens in the aftermath of that? Uh, the heavyweight division notoriously volatile. But at the same time, if I was John Jones and I beat Stipe Miocic, which I think, let's go ahead and assume that that will happen. We don't know that it will, but it's the right way to guess, I think. Uh, I'm not sure I would be super excited about fighting Sergei Pavlovich. Well, here's the thing. We wondered going into this fight, Sergei Pavlovich, we know, big guy, fast hands, can hit. Can he wrestle, though? 
And that's what we thought that we were going to get an answer to one way or another in the Curtis Blades fight. But as you said, you, you, you don't even try a takedown until you're already hurt. Maybe it doesn't exactly test the wrestling of Sergei Pavlovich. If you're John Jones, don't you maybe tell yourself that uh, you're looking at another Cyril Gaon situation where here comes a guy, big guy, hits hard, people get really scared of him at heavyweight, but if you can wrestle and have a really good ground game, then maybe it won't be such a tough one for you? You better hope that's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I think John Jones probably looks at this situation and goes, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, give me that guy. Like, I don't think that that's exactly the kind of fighter John Jones is worried about. The one time we did see Sergey Pavlovich in a fight where he got put on his back is by Alistair Over. And granted, it is first UFC fight, not always the best version of fighters that we see in those. Uh, but I think he goes, hey, man, I... We'll get on, on this guy right away in a clinch, same way I did on Siogan. I'll take him down, and then he'll be a different guy on his back if I'm on top of him throwing down elbows and looking for chokes. Like, yeah. I, I think that John Jones probably sees that as one of the more preferable matchups, at least unless we saw something that showed us that Sergey could really, really wrestle. And I just don't know if we've seen that yet. Yeah. And I suppose if you're the UFC, you would be perfectly happy with a John Jones, Sergey Pavlovich fight as a pay-per-view headliner. But maybe I just won't allow myself to be happy because one of the things that I found myself thinking in the wake of this Sergey Pavlovich victory is, man, how cool would it be if you were going to have Sergey Pavlovich and Francis Ngannou? Because at this point, that seems like a bit of a lost heavyweight banger in that you would have these two enormous knockout artist power punchers wind them up and send them out there like rock'em sock'em robots but again just another fight we will never get to see uh which i feel like is a little bit of a disappointment for me frankly but if we get there and we have john jones against sergey pavlovich i don't think anyone's gonna complain yeah uh let's talk curtis blades for a minute here as i mentioned during the introduction to this episode curtis blades had only previously lost two guys in the heavyweight division francis Ngannou and Derek lewis now Sergey Pavlovich comes along and defeats him via impressive first round TKO, maybe a bit of a weird strategy on the feet from Curtis Blades. And Curtis Blades is still not an old guy for the heavyweight division. He's only 32 years old. So he's that still got a possible to me. How is that? How is that real? I mean, I remember one time I interviewed uh, the good doctor, uh, Patrick Wyman. And we were talking about the heavyweight division and he was like, I think Curtis Blades is a future champion if for no other reason that he's really young and he'll be around for a while. And you know how heavyweight is. They just churn through these guys. And at some point, Curtis Blades will get an opportunity and maybe he will capitalize on it. But at this point, are we starting to think more and more that Curtis Blades won't get that championship opportunities? It seemed like he is destined to be the number two or number three guy in this division for life. Well, here's all you need. You you mentioned before that for Curtis Blades to get the UFC heavyweight title, it might have to be a crime of opportunity, as yeah. you put it. Yeah. Here's all he needs. He needs uh, John Jones and Stipe to both retire. Bitch. Uh, mm-hmm. Not uh, impossible. Or, or he at least needs Stipe to retire, John Jones to uh, go to minimum security prison for a little while. Just a little while. <laughs> um, Sergey Pavlovich gets drafted. Okay. Okay. Uh, great for him, for for Curtis Blades, not for Sergey Pavlovich or anybody else, but <laughs> anybody else. Uh, Tom Aspinall tears every ligament in his body. 
and is just one of those full body casts for a matter of months, still still managing to grimace through a thumbs up in his hospital Instagram photo. And then Curtis Blades is sitting in the catbird seat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just get all those things to happen, all of which seemed still shockingly plausible. And then maybe Curtis Blades right there. Boom. Beats I mean, Taito yeah. for the interim heavyweight championship. I, I can't argue with the way you've drawn it up. It seems airtight. <laughs> that seems like an airtight case for the future of Curtis Blades. All right, let's go. We'll get into Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben Folks, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I got to this moment. I sure we're going to talk about a little bit more when you see uh, this fight between Bobby Green, soon to be known as King. I hope that plan's not derailed by him not getting his money, uh, his win bonus for this fight. Right. You don't yeah. think that that was affected. Yes. Yeah. The plan was to for him to retire as Bobby Green and be known only as King. I hope that's still in the works. But I had this fight against Jared Gordon where it gets it ruled as a no contest, accidental clash of heads. I gotta say that, are you fucking kidding me? Did this show why we shouldn't have guys who are good friends of the fighters at the commentary table? Because yeah. in the immediate aftermath, Paul Felder, your, your boy there, is this, he's really worked up about, and understandably so, because he's seen a clash of heads drop Jared Gordon and then Bobby Green gets to unload on him and gets even a couple punches where it seems like he's already out and he's still nailing him with a couple. And Paul Felder is clearly pretty emotional in that moment because seeing a good friend of his get beat like that, you know, I've seen fighters who I just became fond of through interviewing them or spending time with them writing a story, go out there and lose badly. And there's a visceral reaction that you have, especially if it's a really good friend of yours. I can see what happens, but I'm just saying, are you fucking kidding me? This is exactly why we shouldn't do it. Like, it seems to me like it ought to be obvious enough of this. Didn't we even do once where it wasn't it even Paul Felder who recused himself at one point from one of these fights for exactly these kinds of reasons? Like, it's just not a great look when we, the audience, can tell this guy is having a reaction to this that is not the broadcaster reaction. He is having a friend reaction to this. Are you fucking kidding me? We just refuse to learn from any of that, though, huh? Fucking kidding, fucking kidding me? Yeah, that was... I mean, it was... And it's it's weird to hear Paul Felder react like that on the broadcast because he's normally one of the more level-headed, yes. arguably most professional UFC color commentator, former fighter guys. And so it was noticeable. It was notable, noticeable when he got a little tu- turned up there. Turnt. It's almost as if that's why we shouldn't be doing it, because even the guy who is normally very professional and very good can't help himself in that moment. Like, that's yeah. why we shouldn't put him in those situations. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Ben, did you see uh, what befell Ray Borg here what, last week? Yes, missed, I did. Missed weight. Ray, Ray Borg misses weight. Now, I'm not going to say consistently because he has a lot of appearances where he's made makes weight, but he has missed weight numerous times in his career, missed weight at uh, 125 in 2015, missed it again in 2016, missed bantam weight in 2019, missed fly weight again in 2020. And now he was supposed to be headed in uh, to an appearance in Bellator against uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, but he didn't make weight. And the bout had to be scrapped. He was subsequently released from the promotion. And then he was dropped by his management team as well. Dominant, Dominance MMA came out and released this statement 
about Ray Borg that I could read to you, but it is essentially like a 300 word version of fuck Ray Borg Yeah, is pretty much what it says to which I have to say, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're supposed to be the people who have Ray Borg's back regardless kind of of what he does in the world of fighting. You know, if Ray Borg is revealed to be a mass murderer, maybe then you put out a statement that is like, fuck Ray Borg, we're not representing this guy anymore. But I mean, it's a guy missed weight a few times and all of a sudden dominance MMA is like, this guy is the worst person in the world and we don't want to have anything to do with him. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're, that's what he pays you for is to have his back through the ups and downs. And again, it's just another reminder, Ben folks, that the managers in MMA are better off making amends with the fight promoters than staying close with the actual fighters because that's how they make their money. You fucking kidding me, dude. Fucking kidding me. And not only to, to drop the guy, but you could have dropped the guy and not said anything. Yeah, you didn't like, have to yeah. release the fuck Ray Borg statement. You didn't have like, to do that. We would not only like to drop him, but at this time we will be throwing him all the way under the bus. <laughs> and we just want to make sure that you all see us doing that. Yeah, ah, it's rough. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, Liz Carmouche told us that she was going to go out there and not only win this title fight that was a title fight somehow only for her where she lost, she was going to have to vacate if she won, who knows, but she was going to end Deanna Bennett's whole shit, going to end her career, get her out of the sport because she was that mad at Deanna Bennett's unprofessional conduct, missing weight, and went out there and uh, I believe on the scorecards was down significantly when she pulls off the arm triangle choke in round four, no word yet on whether Deanna Bennett plans to retire in light of this loss. But, uh, you know, Bellator just continuing to plug right along here has himself a, the, your, your two night deal in Hawaii, which honestly I get, if you're going to go all the way over there, yeah, you know, it's a, it's kind of a long flight. So it's a, it's a costly trip. You're going to go over there. You might as well host two shows, you know, yeah. you don't want to yeah. go just for one. Uh, I, you know what? I kind of like it, honestly. Like, even though it can be confusing, if you're not paying super close attention, you'd be like, wait, Bella, there's another Bella? There's mm-hmm. two nights. It's a double shot. There's a two night deal. They got held over. Uh, but, it's, you know, we always say do something that the UFC is not doing. And I agree with you. Making the trek out there to uh, to Hawaii might as well have a two night extravaganza. It's like WrestleMania almost. It is. Well, well, almost. Sure. Uh, it's it's some, it's similar, I guess, yeah, in concept. Uh, similar. Similar to WrestleMania. But, you know, uh, Bellator, for one thing, I think it was the big homie, the Grubaka Hitman on Twitter recently pointing out that, you know, whenever anybody asks the UFC when they're going to go to Hawaii and they talk about it as if it can't possibly be figured out and then nobody really wants to quickly point out that Bellator does it several times a year at this yeah. point. Um, yeah. Which again, like it's it's a little bit shrewd for Bellator to go out there. As we have always known, there is a big fight fan base in Hawaii. It's a it's a hotbed of mixed martial arts activity, and you know Scotty Cokes appreciates the history. You know, if anyone 
in the sport is going to wax philosophical about the importance of Hawaii in the history of mixed martial arts. It's going to be Scotty Coke's noted historian. He's going to be able to bring that up. So it's cool that they go out there, man, I think. And we all know, we all know the reason that the UFC won't go. We all know. Because Hawaii won't pay him nothing. To paraphrase Brock Lesnar, it's because Hawaii won't pay him nothing. The UFC likes to get those appearance fees, basically. Live venue rights fees from places like Houston, where they uh, they pay the UFC to come to town, essentially, because it's good for the city. Hawaii don't got to pay you nothing, because people already go to fucking Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> it's already a hot spot, man. Hawaii doesn't need the PR. Hawaii feels like, you know what? People are probably going to keep coming. We yeah. just... The, the history suggests that people will continue journeying to Hawaii, a tropical paradise. Uh, but you know, Bellator has a pretty good weekend for itself here and sets yeah. up some some fun future bouts. For one thing, it seems like, according to Scott Coker, that they are going to go ahead and look for uh, the next one to be this Liz Carmouche, Alimalei McFarland bout, where here's the one where it's not like we're trying to convince two friends and training partners to fight each other. They're trying to convince us. <laughs> never happens that way but they're saying like okay we've talked about it and everything uh we love and respect each other and but we always knew that this day is going to come and we're we're ready for it now at this point yeah. in our careers and all scott coker has to do is just be like well okay we'll 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 go ahead and get something on the books for you here uh it seems like kind of an easy one um then you also had though your uh, tournament finals over there where you know this is one where I, I we talked before. Are you getting sick of the tournament finals? Or are you getting or the, the the whole Grand Prix kind of idea? Uh, and then you see one play out. I got to be honest with you. Every once in a while, I'll be like, "Oh, are we already at the finals for that?" Yeah, like yeah. Because maybe I just expect them to be more of a shit show and that they never work out the way you want. And then here you manage to complete one at a in a timely fashion everything and it still works on me it's when i when you're just like oh, okay yeah crown a million dollar winner here with this uh the tonight's tournament final i go okay still works even if yeah. i even if i had lost the thread on the tournament itself somewhere along the way you know what works in the final of a grand prix tournament is if one of the two fighters gets knocked the fuck out that works for me that makes me feel more excited about it than I would be if they ground out a five-round unanimous decision win. If you have not watched Rufion Stotts fight Patchy Mix in the main event of the Bellator Men's Bantamweight Grand Prix Final, do yourself a favor and go check it out. Uh, I guess we have to spoil it because this is our MMA podcast, but Patchy Mix does in fact win, and he lands a knee on Rufion Stotts that just, I mean, it had been very competitive up to that point, very even fight uh, through the first, you know, minute or so, did not go very long. And then Patchy Mix blasts him with a knee that just shuts the lights out. And if you are a mixed martial arts fan, you want to see it. I'll just say that. You want to see this knee. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you also have some other classic Bellator stuff happening. Yancey Medeiros goes out here and gets a win. Aaron Pico gets a win. Uh, you know, Danny the, Sabatello got Danny a win Sa on Friday night. Tim Johnson, as we mentioned before, a lot of the Bellator uh, regulars, you could say, the usual suspects got wins, which I think is good for good for Bellator. I mean, you know that I was paying attention to Danny Sabatello having him in my parlay for twenty dollars. We never want to see again, which we did on Friday. Which, by the way, your boy totally hit. So, uh, don't worry. I will find time to gloat about that at a later date as well. 
but what's this when we check in on Bellator, the current state, you know, Bellator still doing Bellator stuff goes out for a twofer and Hawaii has a uh, pretty good back-to-back nights uh, with some pretty good action. Where's your, your current Bellator interest levels at? I mean, here's the thing, man. And we, I've said this before, but even if the UFC's current business model kind of bums you out, we are still in boom times for fight fans because there is just so much out there right now for you to watch if you want to. There's the UFC, Bellator, PFL, 1FC, all of them are readily available to you on you know whatever platforms you choose to have. And the fact is these other second tier promotions all have fighters at the top of various divisions who are as good or better than the guys who are fighting in the UFC and the fights that they are putting on competitively and in terms of relevance inside their various promotions are as good or better than what the UFC is giving you on a week-to-week basis. And one of those fights, frankly, is Rufion Stotts versus Patchy Mix, which is a hell of a matchup. Rufion Stotts comes in something like 19-1. and Patchy Mix, I think, came in at 17-1. and He's 29 years old. He's a guy that I think at least from the outside looking in, Odd Bellator gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. We're not always out here talking about Patrick Patchy Mix, even though he's got a top 10 all-time name in mixed martial arts. <laughs> sounds like a coat of paint. It sounds like something you'd pick up at Benjamin Moore. You're like, oh, I need to throw a coat of paint on my utility room. I think I'm going to go with Patchy Mix. Yeah, It's a uh, kind of an off yellow color. It's mm-hmm. sort of like a cross between yellow and brown. It's sort of a beige. I'm going with it. Patchy mix. I think it's going to look nice in there, really brighten the room up. But he gets this big win. He's the interim men's bantamweight champion. He's the Grand Prix champion. He's out here already throwing fireballs at the champion Sergio Pettis, young Serge, saying, I don't think he's going to want to fight me. So if you are a fight fan and you want to watch fights, and you understand that there are really good fighters all over the world, regardless of whether or not they have that UFC title, regardless of whether or not they're in the mix in the UFC, Patchy Mix and Rufion Stott's plenty good enough to be over there. And if you so uh, desire, you can go watch it. Go watch fucking Bellator. Go watch PFL. Watch one championship. Because uh, every time I watch any of those promotions, I am always reminded there's really good shit happening outside the UFC. Yeah. All right, that is going to wrap it up for round number two. We are going to get started with round number three right now. Well, Ben... There are more quote-unquote celebrities that I personally have never heard of before trying to make a name for themselves in the combat sports arena. And one of the ways that you do that, I guess, is getting in a huge fucking brawl with Nate Diaz on the streets of New Orleans in the middle of the night. Because that is what happened. Your boy Nathan Donald Diaz is out there uh, attending something called Misfits Boxing. Now, see, I'm going to... I'll just expose myself that I don't know what Misfits Boxing is. I don't know why Nate Diaz was there. I followed this story only tangentially. I saw him throw a water bottle at someone, which that's just a classic Diaz move, man. You can't give those guys a water bottle. 
You give the Diaz brothers no. a water bottle, you know what? You made your bed, lie in it, because they're fucking throwing it at someone. That's all there is to it. Throws a bottle well, he throws a bottle at Chase Demore, who again, never heard of this fucking guy in my life. Throws it at him, then later they're out on the streets of New Orleans and we're getting in a huge brawl, a cl- another classic Diaz brothers move. We don't know if he thought this other guy was Logan Paul or not, but he ends up choking him unconscious. Both these guys now, Chase Demore and Dollar Store Logan Paul, whose real name I don't even know. They are on the internet basically being like, I will kill you the next time I see you, Nate Diaz, as if they learned nothing from this fracas, Ben Folks. I mean, I like us joking around, kidding ourselves as if Nate Diaz needs a reason to choke you unconscious in the streets. As if we got to be like, oh, did he think that it was this other guy? Is it a case of mistake? Did. He didn't need a reason. It's just, <laughs> just popping off. He's just snatching whoever's closest and putting them in a choke. That could very easily be the explanation. You don't need it to be any more complicated than that. Yeah. We should know yeah. that by now. Also, you're right, though. I mean, if Nate Diaz comes to your event, Chad, and he's like, oh, man, could I get a water? You're like, open your mouth. I will pour it in there. (laughs) We're not. Here is a tiny paper Dixie cup full of water. (laughs) Yeah, we're. I mean, give him one of those Camelback things that he can't. Like, even if he throws it at someone, it's not going to be a huge. You got to think ahead because we've seen this movie before. Yeah, we know what happens there. Yes, we have. Uh, Chase Demore comes out after this to show off his black eye and say that he wants Nate Diaz in the cage and his whole posse is soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys got to stop recording videos of themselves while they're driving in their cars. Why? Why? They will, why, not, they will never what, stop that. Why ever. is that? Why is that the universal time people want to record their videos? Like why? Why don't they wait till they get home and record them, you know, in their studio where it says bad guy incorporated on the wall and lights. Like, why don't you do it there? Why do you have to do it while you're, is that what Tim Johnson was doing? Is that what he was doing when he got in his 70 mile an hour accident, Ben? Was he trying to make a video blog about how Nate Diaz is soft and then he rear ends somebody in front of him? Just wait till you get home. Why are we doing it in the car? I don't get it. I do not understand it. Do they, uh, do other people just spend way more time commuting than we think? Maybe, maybe they live that commuter lifestyle. I don't know. Like this is the only time I got. I spend four hours a day in the car. When else you want me to do it? I don't know. I I do feel comfortable saying Tim Johnson was not making a a video blog. (laughs) That's the one thing I feel like I can say that he was not doing when he took off his seatbelt. Probably not. Also, yeah, go ahead. To to be be out here like and be like Nate Diaz, you and your whole crew are soft. Are they though? Because I feel like one of the one of the things that we've kind of learned about those guys is that when they show up to your event or when they step outside the house, really, they are ready to fight at kind of yeah. any time, regardless of whether it's going to cause more problems for them than they need, regardless of whether it's a good idea or not. Those guys are they're rolling around like that at all times. Yeah, I would say their problem is that they are the opposite of soft. They yeah. are too. Whatever the opposite of soft is hard, I guess they are too. They're just out there uh, begging for it. They're looking for trouble. Like that's that's the problem with them is that they're not too soft. It's it's anything but that's the problem. What do you think it's like when they go out there? They have yet another evening where they've gone somewhere to see a thing. The whole entourage gets into it. We're choking people out in the streets. We go back to the hotel and, you know, we're just kind of like, well, anywho, 
gonna hit the hey are we doing the continental breakfast in the morning or do you have to head out like probably is it just another night is it just another like okay all right well i'm gonna go get in bed watch some hbo uh i'll catch you guys in the morning down there in the lobby i would assume i would assume so yeah okay all right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit here about Bobby Green before we have to wrap this up, because as you mentioned before, he went out there against Jared Gordon uh, due to a clash of heads, which in fairness was a fight changing turn of events and a fairly blatant clash of heads, albeit accidental on both people's parts. And then he gets his uh, TKO victory turned into a no contest comes to the post-fight press conference. Shout out to Amy Kaplan, by the way, for asking the first and only question during Bobby Green's appearance. Where, let's just say, this is borderline all-time performance at a UFC post-fight press conference by Bobby Green. Comes in, does not sit down, just leans his fists on the table and is basically like, who's got a question? Shout out to Amy Kaplan, for having the brass balls to ask this question first to be like, obviously you didn't like the, it wasn't what you were hoping for. What are, what are you feeling right now? Bobby Green looks at her and said, didn't you ask me about my feelings once before? <laughs> to which she responds, yeah, I did, I guess. He says, I think he says next is, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that. Talking about the result of this fight. Goes on to say, they're trying to keep my money from me I need my money. And then he basically storms out of the press conference, which injected into my veins, man. I know that it's a, it's a bad night for Bobby green. He probably had already spent that money in his head and then he only got half of what he feels like he deserves. But, uh, that's, that's just, uh, that's why they have the post-fight press conference, frankly. Yeah. And this one though, kind of doesn't it make you reflect on how the, show win structure really sucks for a lot of guys because ideally I guess you're telling yourself hey this is how you incentivize them to go out there and fight hard every single time I I would argue they don't really need that extra incentive they're in a cage fight they always want to win their their career prospects depend on it but also uh, there's plenty of ego and everything else and not just wanting to get your face beat in that's going to get you to try your best in a cage fight most of the time. So I don't know if we really need that, but that does remind you, there's so many ways for shit just to get weird in a cage fight. Stuff can just go wrong, and then the next thing you know, there is no winner. The UFC gets to just keep all that money in their pocket, even though you had it budgeted out. You can go ahead and pay that. It will, you know, we've seen the UFC financials. It's not going to make or break you if you have to pay out, you know, each guy's win bonus for something like that. But it does, when you hear the fighter come, and he's not talking about, like, I deserve that win on my record, give it to me. That He's talking about the financial reality of going out there, doing your best, feeling like you were standing over the guy, punching him in the face, and that was you winning. And then they tell you, oh, no, wait, you actually get only half your money um, because of something that's purely accidental. And, yeah, that's when you go, okay, this, this sucks. Yeah. Uh, and, again... Sucks for Bobby Green. Sucks for Jared Gordon. Sucks for everybody involved. I just shout out to Amy Kaplan for exact asking exactly the right question that should have been asked and exactly the way it was should have been phrased. When I think a lot of people in this sport would have been afraid to ask that question, would have might have tried to steer around it as best they could. But good job by her. All right, uh, UFC Fight Night event next weekend. 
Song Yadong in the men's bantamweight main event against Ricky Simon. Uh, this is, I mean, if you want to, we talk about the just some fights era, man. If anyone asks, what does that mean? I would point them toward UFC Fight Night 223, a.k.a. UFC on ESPN Plus 81, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night Song versus Simon or Simone. Because uh, this is at the top, a main event that is a contender fight that will have implications at 135 pounds and nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. And it's not even like an immediate contender fight. It's just, it's, you know, the number eight versus number 10, better to win than to lose this fight. Not a single other raked fighter anywhere on the fight card. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm talking about. If you talk, like, these fights are for UFC fans because all the rest of these fights, if you put this as a PFL event, if you put it as a one FC event, whatever, people would be like, mm, this is pretty low wattage, entirely missable in the UFC thing. It's right there on the calendar. Media people going to show up, everybody going to act like it's a real thing. Somebody pointed out to me on Twitter when I mentioned this that this was this really encapsulate the the JSF era because it just we're not it doesn't even feel like you're really trying very hard with this one. Yeah. Uh, and somebody was like, I think of these like basically the UFC version of a WWE house show, and they just <laughs> go ahead and put it on TV in case anybody wants to watch. And by TV yeah. we mean the streaming service. But yeah. just be like, here it is. If if you if you're interested, if you got nothing else better to do, you you could turn tune in and watch it. We don't much care if you don't though. And frankly, we'd understand. Yeah. In fairness, they're supposed to have a lightweight bout between Armand Sarukian and Hanato Moikano as the main event here, but that was called off uh, due to injury about two weeks ago. So they were a little bit in scramble mode, but at the same time, man, if you, I guess if you, you know, make some plans for Saturday night, don't, you don't feel like you got to stay home. Just go out, do something. Take I'll your partner say, out for dinner. Go see a movie. If losing Hinato Moicano is all it takes to torpedo your fight card, then you didn't have a great <laughs> fight card to begin with. Facts. You're spitting facts there. All right, let's go ahead and we will do just saying stuff this week, and then we will get out of here. Uh, ben, I know you love a Brazilian saying, man. Oh, do I ever. I know you love a Portuguese colloquialism, a turn of phrase, a regional idiom, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, how about this one? 38-year-old Hani Yaya came into his fight this weekend with Montel Jackson as something close to a 6-1 to underdog. Jackson, he's one of these up-and-comers in the stacked men's bantamweight division that we were just talking about in next week's main event. Uh, potential that boy good alert, frankly, with Montel Jackson at this point. Hani Yaya has been in the UFC since 2011. And he was in the WEC before that, going all the way back to 2007. So naturally, there have been some questions about a potential retirement. But you know what he said this week, Ben? Do you know what he said this week when he was asked about retirement? No. He said he's, quote, not ready to put the donkey in the shade. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a Portuguese saying he's not ready to put the donkey in the shade. To which this week, I'm just saying, same. <laughs> uh, you've been know, doing honestly, this a long time, Ben. I'm 45 years old, but I'm not ready to put the donkey in the shade quite yet. We're going to keep it going. I don't know. It, it kind of sounds nice to let the donkey <laughs> hang out in the shade, honestly. Yeah, exactly. He's not ready to put the donkey in the shade yet, man. He's still out here working. He's still fighting guys like Montel Jackson. By the way, Patchy Mix, top 10 MMA all-time name. Hani Yaya, put that on the list too. 
brother, because he's also got a killer moniker going for himself. Yeah. When your name sounds like a, the chorus to a pop song, then that's, <laughs> you, you got, you got something good going on there. So that's yeah, cool. Not, not putting the donkey in the shade quite yet though. Well, Chad, this week, I'm just saying, I'm going to read you a headline here. This is from Low Kick MMA. It says, Patty Pimlet scoffs at future peace offering with Ariel Helwani. Quote, he tried to ruin my career. <laughs> to which I just, I guess I got to say, did he though? <laughs> you sure about that? Did he though, Patty? Because I don't know. I don't know if he did. This is Patty Pimlet talking to, to severe MMA to our guy, Sean Sheehan, over there. He says, the Ariel stuff, people turned on me for telling the truth about Ariel, lad. It's crazy. I've got all that, meaning the receipts. I've got all that on me phone. The receipts thing is the maddest shout ever. At the time, I actually considered Ariel a friend. Obviously, I was never a friend to him. He saw me as a pound sign. Now, yeah. Right. Ariel Helwani is out here making make or he's got to land a make or break interview with Patty Pimlet because Guns wants to get those pounds. Gotta get a pound and a few shillings because uh he's not gonna make it otherwise unless he gets Patrick Pimlet on the line. Also he says the annoying thing about that was people saying to me, You've just been bullying Ariel and you started an anti bullying bullying charity. My charity isn't an anti bullying charity, <laughs> for one. <laughs> It's just a foundation to help people. Two, I haven't bullied Ariel at all. I said this the other day. I shouldn't have called him names. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said nasty words. Everything else was the truth. He tried to assassinate my character. Uh, <laughs> now, you know you're in a great situation where you have to be like, first of all, my this organization that I started was not meant to help people in like, all those circumstances. So like, I, I still would like to leave that avenue open for myself should I choose to pursue it. But also, the way I remember the Ariel Patty Pimlet thing was that Patty Pimlet was like talking to Dana White on his podcast and was like, you know, cozying up to the boss a little bit by being like, these media guys are scumbags, just like you're always saying, right? Like this guy, they're just trying to use us for money and everything. And then we know, especially this era of Ariel Helwani, if you want to go poke him with a stick, you know, you know what's going to happen next. You clap, he's going to clap back. And as we've seen over and over again, you're, you're fucking with a guy who has like 12 hours worth of programming every week to talk back to you. And he's better at it than you are. You know, it's just not going to end well for you. And then he turns that into try to end my career and assassinate my character. I'm just saying, did he though? Or did you just <laughs> start some shit? That you didn't like how it turned out, and yeah. now you're trying to spin the narrative in a completely different direction, and so that you were the aggrieved party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that's what happened. Just saying. Don't don't start feuds with people who buy their ink by the barrel, as they used to say when we used ink to make the news. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Except for the beloved top tier patrons of the co-main event, the twenty dollars patrons, we got after hours. After hours coming up right now and ben folks we are going to talk about tim sylvia making his slap fight debut at something called slap fight championship underground you're so excited about this and it went talking about this all day long exactly like you think it would is how it went for tim sylvia for everybody else thanks for listening we'll catch up with you next week stay tuned if you're a 20 dollar patron but right now we are done we are through We are out.
first of all, I just want to say it's not fair, right? It's not fair to let Tim Sylvia come to your slap fight championship underground event when he is basically, first of all, multi-time UFC heavyweight champion. A guy who was known as a power puncher in his day. Granted, a guy the MMA community kind of made fun of. Kind of made fun of him. All because he's like a big lumbering goof out there. Ben, folks, at this point, this man is like, what, six foot eight, six foot nine, 370 pounds. And you tell him he gets to come to an event where not only does he not have to move at all. But he is actually forbidden by the rules to move. He just stands there and slaps another man in the face. This is not fair. You should not have Tim Sylvia come out here 